this passage is almost like a, a magic decoder ring that helps us to understand what this whole temple and this whole first covenant was about. And so we're able to translate a lot of in the Old Testament what's difficult to us to understand through the lens of the New Testament to understand it better. So we're going to do that as I read Hebrews 9, 1 through 15. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But in the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. That's what Vicki read about earlier. By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet open as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of the Reformation. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls, and with the ashes of a heifer, sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. The word of the Lord. Are we there yet? What parent hasn't heard this phrase before? Maybe what adult hasn't heard this phrase before? Are we there yet? I feel like I heard this phrase a thousand times as we went on our trips this summer, whether to the beach for a week or to grandma's house. That was the constant chiming from our kids. Are we there yet, mom and dad? It's easy to understand why they would say that, you know? I mean, they get so excited about seeing Grammy and, and Pop or going to the beach that they just want to be there and their little bodies have difficulty sitting still. Recently, we've had Maria, and Maria has absolutely no concept of time. So it doesn't matter what, where we're going, if we're going to Portsmouth, she'll get in the car and she'll say, Mom, Dad, is this far, far away? Is it far, far away? She's asking the question, when are we going to get there? Now, we're, many of us who are older, you know, can still relate to this concept. You know, when, when you get older, you learn to delay your gratification. 
But who of us hasn't been on a trip, whether a business trip or somewhere where you've been on a plane and it's time to come home and you finally get your luggage and you get on the plane and then you just sit there on the tarmac waiting because of mechanical difficulties. And 45 minutes later, you finally get off, but by the time you get to the next place, you've missed the connecting flight. And it's already 7 o'clock and only one flight goes off, and so you're stuck there, marooned in this place, and the destination you want to get to keeps getting further and further and further away. Are we there yet? And there just seems no way to get there. And the journey of life is very similar to the journey of faith, isn't it? We're all on a spiritual journey. We all have a destination that we're trying to get to. And what is that destination? At the end of it, if you really boil down all of our lives and you sort of cut through the job and the looks and the relationships and everything, what we're looking for is peace with God, harmony with God, a relationship with God based on love and trust and not fear. The Bible calls that shalom, peace, the end of the destination. But for many of us, we're asking the question, are we there yet? Because it seems like this elusive relationship, this elusive peace that we hear talked about in the Bible, maybe we see in other people, we don't feel in ourselves. And we feel like it's getting further and further away despite our best efforts. Are we there yet? So the question I want to address in church today is, will we ever get there? And I'm thankful that this passage tells us that the answer is yes. We will get there because a way has been opened that did not exist before. The reason we can get there is because the one who goes before us has gotten there already. See, all other paths to God lead to dead ends. But the way opened by Jesus Christ leads to the heart of the heavenly God. So what we're going to do is take a look at some dead ends that this passage talks about. The dead end of an imperfect temple, number one. Number two, the dead end of an imperfect sacrifice. And then finally, number three, the right path. A door that has been opened to God through Jesus Christ. All other paths to God lead to dead ends, but the way opened by Jesus Christ leads to the heart of the heavenly God. So let's look at this first section here, the dead end of the temple. Look at this first verse, Hebrews 9.1. Even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness, for a tent was prepared. Remember, the writer is talking about the first covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Old Testament that we're familiar with. Now, again, a little backdrop. Remember what a covenant was? A covenant is a formalized relationship between two parties. In this case, God and man specifying how this relationship is supposed to go. God made a covenant with the Israelite people, a very specific covenant, something that had never been done in the history of the world, explaining to them that he would dwell amidst them and the things they needed to do in order to be blessed and the things that they should not do or they would be cursed. Well, even this first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness for a temple was prepared. Some of you are familiar with this temple. Initially, it was a tabernacle or a tent during the time of Moses. Later, it was built into a temple during the time of Solomon. 
similar dimensions. But this first tent had two rooms into it, in it. One called the holy place, and the other called the most holy place. Now the holy place was a 30 by 15 by 15 room tent around it. And there were two elements in it. If you were a priest, you were allowed to enter into this room. And you would walk into this 30 by 15 by 15 room. And on the left side, there would be the uh, lamp, the lampstand. If you ever seen a menorah, that's a picture of the lampstand. And on the right side, about seven and a half feet down on the right side of the wall, was the table of the presence, the bread of presence. And every uh, Sunday, the priest would come in, excuse me, Saturday, and he would uh, place 12 loaves of bread, uh, symbolizing the 12 tribes of Israel. And they were given instructions to keep the light of the, uh, of the lampstand lit constantly. The priests would go in there, into this place. But there was one other room behind the holy place, the most holy place, the holy of holies, as they called it. And this was the place where God dwelt, a perfect 15 by 15 by 15 room. And only one person could go into this room. The high priest, once a year, only one person, once a year. And he would go in to offer sacrifices. Now in this room, we see in the description, there were these rich symbols to show the imagery of God meeting with his people. There was the Ark of the Covenant box. It was about 2.25 2 feet by 3.75 feet long, covered in gold. And on top of this was a cover. It was called the mercy seat. And there were these two cherubim, these birds. We don't exactly know what they uh, uh, looked like, but they reached their arms across the mercy seat and they had their heads down. And what God said was that was the place where God would meet with his people. He was enthroned above the cherubim of glory. That was the place if you wanted to meet with God, you had to get there. But you could only do it one time, once a year, if you were the high priest. In the ark, there were these different items. There was the jar of manna. If you remember, God fed 600,000 Israelites for 40 years, day after day, with food. And this jar with manna was uh, put in there to symbolize God caring for His people. There was also the Ten Commandments, the tablets literally inscribed by the finger of God, communication from God itself there in the Ark of the Covenant. And then there was Aaron's staff that budded. Remember in the Old Testament, a bunch of people were griping who was the one who was supposed to represent the people. And, and God said, take 12 staffs from each of the tribes. And it was Aaron's staff that, that budded. In other words, a symbol of God's approval of Aaron as the priest. All of these things were in the Ark of the Covenant. Now we also see here that there was this altar of incense. Now technically the altar of incense was right on the outside of the Holy of Holies, but it butted up to it. And as they would light the incense, it would flow into the most holy place. And it was to symbolize the accepted prayers of the people. So this rich imagery of a place where God dwelt, where He would provide for people, where He would meet with them, why does he give all this information? Why are all of these things important? Because they're all of the things that we're looking for, aren't they? In this journey of faith. We want to meet with God. 
We want to know that God will meet our needs time and time again. We want to know what God has to say to us and God has to say for us. We want to know that when we speak to God that our prayers will be like incense rising up into the heavens and they will be accepted. We want all of these things. And so in one sense, this picture of the temple is such a blessing because we see in symbology and imagery how God wants to dwell with His people. But on the other sense, this picture of the temple is like a curse because you and I can't get there. See, the temple was not designed to bring people in. It was designed to keep people out. Gate upon gate upon gate. See, in a way, it's sort of like tremendously ironic that there's one place in the world where you can go to meet God and you can't get in there. You can't get to the place where you need to go. I remember when we uh, were bringing home Maria from Nicaragua, and it's quite a journey bringing somebody into the country because they're brand new and you've got to get all the paperwork done. Well, Leon had been in Nicaragua for, I don't know, 80 days. She was ready to get home. We had been, I had taken the other kids to go get Maria. We had been in there for a couple of weeks. We were ready to get home. And so we flew into Miami, and that was kind of the first place of customs. You know, and that's where you present the paperwork before they'll let you go in if you don't have a passport. And so we're providing all the paperwork. We're sitting there. It's late. We want to get there. And something is holding things up. I don't know what's going on, but I'm looking at the clock because I know when the connecting flight is. And something is holding things up. I'm trying to get in there. Hey, can we speed this along? No, 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 no. Finally, they let us go, just in time to miss the flight. Well, no problem, we'll grab another flight. There is no other flight. There's no way to get from Miami to Norfolk, Virginia. Now, believe me, I tried. I mean, I'm over there, you know, I mean, can we take American Airlines? Can we go through someone else? Can we blah, blah? At the end of the day, there was no way to get from Miami to Norfolk, Virginia, despite if I had all the money in the world and all the time, it wasn't going to happen. And so here we are, so anxious to get home, but not able to. We had to spend the night in a hotel in Miami and then fly out the next day. See, the temple is designed to give us a picture, but it's not designed to give us entrance. It's designed to give us a lesson that you and I are not qualified. Persona non grata. Because the covenant is built on works. The covenant is built on the slogan, try harder. But the problem is no one can try hard enough. So you might be saying to yourself, well, maybe if I was there, I could have. I could have gained entrance by my life, by turning my life around, by doing the right things. But the truth of the matter is no one obeys. No one obeys even now, do we obey His commandments if we're honest? You know, this new, uh, Jesus' greatest commandment, where do you think that that came from? It came from the book of Leviticus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. If any of us, if we look in the mirror honestly, could we say that we have always done that and do that? The temple is a symbol of anything based on effort. In fact, all religions of the world, if you gave up you know, Judaism and you tried something else, if you went to some temple anywhere in the world, they're all based on try harder. 
The problem is you can't get there from here. It's a dead end. We have to look for another way. All paths to God lead to dead ends, but the way opened by Jesus leads to the heart of the heavenly God. Well, if that's dead end number one, an imperfect temple, dead end number two, according to this passage, is an imperfect sacrifice. Look at verse 9. There was a reason we could not enter into the Holy of Holies and stay there. And the answer was a defiled conscience. See, when you think about it, the reason for the temple in the first place was all about providing sacrifice. It's all built around sacrifice. If you lived back then, you would provide sacrifices for your sins. Before you even went into, well, you couldn't even go into the holy place, but you would come to the priest who had an altar, a seven and a half by seven and a half foot altar in front of the holy place. And if you had sinned, you would offer a sin offering, a goat, a bull, a pigeon, a grain offering for what you had said, for what you had done, for what you had left undone, a constant way to provide for sin. And the priest would offer general sacrifices for the people. And once a year, the high priest would go into the most holy place. But if you notice, all of these offerings here are for what? Unintentional sins. The sins that were kind of overlooked sins, the sins that we forgot. And what we discover is the problem is that these offerings, these sacrifices, could not perfect the conscience of the worshiper. They could deal with the outer issues, but they couldn't deal with the inner heart. Look at verse 10. These sacrifices deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body. Look at verse 13. These sacrifices, the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, sanctify for the purification of the flesh. But it's only skin deep. If all of these sin offerings are for unintentional sins, what about intentional sin? What about the sins that we know we shouldn't commit and we go ahead and do it anyways? The problem at the end of the day, folks, is that our hearts are set against God. We don't love God more than we love ourselves. And so these sacrifices were not designed to perfect the conscience. The result was a fundamental conflict between a holy God and an unholy people. Recently, I went upstairs and I turned on our, uh, uh, our little old Apple computer. So I wanted to do something on the Apple computer. It's an old iBook, real creepy. It's about to go. In fact, it might go while I'm even speaking right now. It's held together with duct tape. And lo and behold, a little symbol comes up that I'd never seen before. Thinking to myself, why can't I get this computer to boot up? You know, it's an Apple. It's like a little unhappy face or something like that. You know how Apple is? They got their little things. I'm wondering, what's wrong with this computer? I can't get it to work. So shut it down, try to start it up again. Same thing. What is going on? I finally realized what the problem was when I went ahead and I pushed the eject button. There was a Microsoft disk in this Apple computer. Okay, this is before the days, you know, where they could run both or anything like that. See, there was a systems conflict between the operating system of one and the operating system of the other. They didn't recognize each other. 
Now, I could have taken that CD and I could have flipped it over and I could have thrown it in there. I could have maybe smeared it with peanut butter. I could have done whatever I wanted to do to try to make that disc work, but at the end of the day, it never would have worked. Why? A system's conflict between one and the other. See, what we're dealing with here, with this issue of sacrifices, is a system's conflict. Trying to fix the outer part of the disc, when the problem is the programming language itself is incompatible. All of these sacrifices in the temple, all of them could never fix the defiled conscience of the person. And so there never could be harmony. There never could be peace. You could get as close as possible to God, but you could never enter in because they were not designed to do that. And so the question we have to ask is, what can fix the human heart? You know, you, sometimes you drive through the country and there's this big movement a little while ago. I don't know if it's still going on. You'll see a billboard where it says, what this country needs is a return to the Ten Commandments. In other words, if we just started obeying the law of God, everything would fall into place. What's the problem with that? We can't. We won't. We don't want to. The problem is the human heart. We need change from the inside out, not from the outside in. But here's the truth, my friends. Some of us here in this room are still living under that old sacrificial system bringing sacrifices to a temple called Church of the Redeemer. The reality is you come to church, but there's no joy in it. It's a sacrifice. If I come to church and bring my sacrifice, God will accept me. Maybe you serve in the church, you know, you serve in the children's ministry, you serve on the hospitality team, but there's no joy in it. It's a sacrifice. Because if I do that, maybe that will allay my conscience. Maybe you write a check. It's a sacrifice. Maybe you give up fun in your life. It's a sacrifice. You're your own priest. You have a host of sacrifices put together to try to make things right between you and God. It may perfect your body, but it certainly can't perfect your heart. The system of sacrifice, much like that of the temple, is a dead end. All other paths lead to God. Excuse me, all our paths to God lead to dead ends, but the way opened by Jesus alone leads to the heart of the heavenly God. And so let's look at this third point. I close with this third point. The true path, the way that has been opened to God. Look at verse 11. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Notice Jesus Christ didn't go through the earthly temple because the earthly temple is broken. And he didn't come bringing an imperfect sacrifice. What did he bring? Hebrews 9.12, he entered once for all into the holy places, the heavenly temple, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. He didn't bring an eternal sac earthly sacrifice. He brought his own blood. Because his blood was the only thing that could perfect the conscience of you and me. See, the only way that our heart can be made perfect is because his heart is perfect. The only way that he can fix our hearts 
To take us away from this justification of dead works is to bring a perfect sacrifice. And so what did Christ do? He fixed our hearts by sacrificing His. He made a way into the temple by leaving it. Christ brought us near to God by going far away. The path to God is through His very heart, His very life. A way that has been opened. And that way is not a temple. It's not an earthly sacrifice. It's Jesus Christ who has become our perfect representative. I don't know if you saw this article recently. It was in the Wednesday paper, the Virginian Pilot. Absentee Beach board member may resign. Anybody been tracking this? Real interesting story here. This gal, uh, what is her name? I just had her name a second ago. Sandra Smith-Jones was on the school board of Virginia Beach, appointed to represent her constituency. Well, she took a job in Saudi Arabia with a private educational uh, company. And so the board threw her a party. She was going to go ahead and step down, someone to be reappointed. Well, right before she left to get on the plane to go to Saudi Arabia, she decided not to step down. And so she went to Saudi Arabia, but business continued as usual here in Virginia Beach. And so these school board meetings are happening in these committees. Only one problem. Sandra Smith-Jones isn't there. She has a new constituency, and they're all Arabian, 7,000 miles away. See, they're trying to figure out what to do because the representative can't adequately represent. And so now, right now, we're not exactly sure what's going to go on in terms of Sandra Smith's decision. But isn't that the same thing for us? We need a representative who can adequately represent us. Not one who's down here on earth, but one who is in the true temple above. And if 7,000 miles is a large distance, the distance between heaven and earth is infinite. But we have a perfect representative who has entered into the one place where we need representation, heaven itself, into the throne room of God in which the temple was only a shadow. So who are you choosing? To represent you. Who do you know who has access. Standing before God. Who do you know who can bring a suitable sacrifice. That can fix not only your body. But actually your heart. The scripture here tells us that there is only one. In the history of the billions of people that have walked the earth. Jesus Christ. The mediator of the second covenant. So I finish with the question I started with, are we there yet? If you believe in Christ, the deposit has been made. The representative is seated at the right hand of the Father. And the secure transformation has already begun even here on earth. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So even now, as we're living on earth, waiting for our final destination, we can live with confidence, peace with God, because we know the future. It's certain. A way has been opened that is being kept open for you and me. But we can begin to enjoy the benefits even now. We can enter into this special throne room with God. Our prayers can be like incense 
which rises up to the heavens and is heard by God. We can enter into his throne room by faith when we pray, even in the comfort of our own home. We can know the very words of God that he has for us when we open the scriptures because he is speaking to us. We can know the jar of manna that God has given because he promises that of his people he will meet all of our needs according to the riches that are in Jesus Christ. The journey that we're on has a final and sure destination. But we can now begin to even live and join the promises by faith. All other paths to God lead to dead ends. But the way opened by Jesus Christ leads to the heart of the heavenly God. Trust in Him and experience the blessings that He has provided. In Christ's name, Amen. Lord.